Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Thanks for listening to the show. To support the podcast and letter, get lots of member-only features and follow Mike and Karina behind the scenes, go to aletterfromireland.com forward slash plus. That's aletterfromireland.com forward slash plus. Now, let's get on with the show. So, Mike... Where are we going today, Corina? Well, we have a very great opportunity here because living in County Cork, it's unbelievable, but we're just up the road from a place called Cove, spelled C-O-B-H. Now, that that often gets mispronounced because it's an unusual one. So a B-H being a V sound yes, in English. coming from the old C-O-V-E or even Queenstown, as it was once originally known. Now, we do the Irish Ancestry Trails, as you know, and of course, this place saw many of our ancestors leave Ireland from Cove. So we thought, would it not be a great idea to head down there, have a look around Cove, but particularly the Cove Heritage Centre, where we met a very interesting man and called what, Jack Walsh. And what a treasure trove he had, Karina. I mean, the guy was, he was obviously very slick in a very genuine sort of way, but by gosh, did he have stories to share. He is the real, what we call in Irish, a shanaki. In other words, he had a great way of telling a story. He was a curry man, so he had a good uh, There's no stopping him. No stopping, a great man for chat. We were delighted to meet him. And uh, so he told us what we would call we, we put them together today for you, seven stories. So we're going to take a tour around the actual Cove Heritage Centre. And Jack is going to chat with Karina at a number of stops, those seven stops, and relate to you stories of some, not necessarily just famous people, but people with good stories who actually left from the port of Cove at some point in time during his history. And it wasn't just about the 1880s onwards, because, of course, I suppose Cork in general really goes all the way back here into the actual uh, late part of the 1700s in terms of emigration. And we're talking about not just a place like Ellis Island, but actually all over the world. So first off, uh, we're going to have a piece of music. And after that, uh, Jack Walsh is going to tell us a little bit about himself and the Cove Heritage Museum. So we're going to have three pieces of music today, which uh, in, according to our general themes in every show, Karina, uh, have something to do with what we're talking about. So the first one we're actually going to listen to is the Irish Rover, here sung by a combination of the Dubliners and the Pogues. And watch out for the first, uh, the first line, actually, when they set sail from the small cove of Cork. And the second one, then, is the Holy Ground, which uh, it's kind of under dispute, basically, but it's uh, suggested that it might be a house of ill repute in Cove that the Holy Ground's referred to. could also just be a memory of a place that you actually love. And finally, we have a more recent song of a more recent emigrant from Cove, very specifically, a man called Jack Doyle. And the song is called The Contender, written by own Jimmy McCarthy and sung by Finbar Wright. So that's three songs from Cove. And we're going to start now with uh, everybody up uh, dancing around the room now to the Irish Rover. We set sail from the sweet cove of Cork We were sailing away with a cargo of bricks 
of the Grand City Hall in New York. Twas a wonderful craft, she was rigged for the laugh. And oh, how the wild wind drove her. She stood several blasts, she had 27 masts, and they called her the Irish Rover. We had one million bikes, of the best lawyer rights. We had two million barrels of stone. We had three sides of our play horses' hides. We had four million barrels of bones. We had five million hogs, six million dogs, seven million barrels of parts. We had eight million piles of old nanny ghost tiles and a whole of the Irish Rover. There was old Mickey Coot who played hard on his flute when the ladies lined up for a set. He was tootled with skill for each sparkling quadrille Till the dancers were fluted and bet With his smart, witty talk, he was cock of the walk And he rolled the dames under and over They all knew at a glance when he took up his stance Then he sailed in the Irish Rover into the old railway station, which is now Cove Heritage Centre. And I'm here chatting with Jack Walsh. Jack, you're the manager here of the centre. And can you tell us a little bit about 
your own background and where you started off with all these transatlantic journeys, maybe in your own life? My first memory would be when I was growing up as a little boy, my family had a pub in a place called the Stole in County Kerry. And my mother was the agent for the Cunard shipping line. So she sold tickets to any of the local young guys or young girls who were contemplating uh, emigrating, especially to the US. And I often watched those guys sitting in the bar with their pints, filling in all the documentation. And possibly a week later, those guys were gone off to New York, Boston, Chicago, wherever. And lots of cases that were probably never seen again. And that was in the early 1960s. But I suppose if you think of, if you'd gone back 100 years to the 1850s, 1860s, anybody contemplating emigrating to the US at that stage, they definitely didn't come back. And they had a tougher journey because, you know, nowadays you have trains, cars, buses. In those days you had donkeys, donkey and carts, and uh, maybe rowing boats. So how would a person have come down here to Cove and got on the boat? What would their journey have been like? Well, from the 1860s onwards, they could have caught the train in some place like Killarney and gone to Cork, then got the train from Cork to to Cove, and then directly onto the ships. Um, but a lot of them, depending on when they arrived uh, and when their ship was sailing, would have had to got lodging somewhere in Cove. And the lodging houses were famous um, because you didn't know what you were going to find in there, right? And the... And the, uh, the <laughs> The Bannon Tees, as we call them here, the lodging house ladies, had lots of little different ways of getting business and saving a few pounds. I'm sure you must tell me about one of those. If, for example, you had booked for your bed and breakfast, uh, at maybe six o'clock in the morning before breakfast was being served, somebody was shouting outside the door, quickly, everybody, the boat is here. Right? So everybody would leave the bed and breakfast. Been no breakfast served. But the Bannon Tees already been paid for it. So little tricks like that. Um, but the lodging houses in, in Cove were famous at that time because people were coming from all over the country. Um, a lot of them were young. They didn't know the way around. They were sort of, sort of rural people from the west of Ireland, for example. Coming into a large town would have been strange, but a town they'd never been in, looking for somewhere to stay, they had to trust people, and they were very trusting. They didn't always leave with the money they arrived with. Let's put it that way. And that, was, different. And that was the start of their journey. Yeah. And, you know, f- from here then, you know, you, you get on a ship in, in the 1860s, 1870s, it might have been two or three weeks sailing across the Atlantic in all sorts of weather. Um, so a lot of them were, you know, sort of fairly sick when they got to the other side. What we've introduced so is a lot of human interest stories of real people that went through this port at some stage between 1600 and 1900. And some of the stories you get in very funny ways. Like this particular one here, Robert Davis. A young guy arrived here about three years ago with a family Bible. And on the Bible, all it had was the name Robert Davis, Cove, spelled C-O-V-E, 1841. So we were able to find Robert Davis's birth certificate. He was born here in Cove on the 25th of April, 1841. So obviously the Bible was a, a birth present, for example, for his, from his family. We were then able to find out that the famous Robert ended up in the smuggling business with his father, but he was caught and he was being transported to Australia. But when the ship arrived in Jamaica to take on provisions, Robert jumped ship along with a number of other convicts and he ended up in Providencia, 
of Sant Andre, one of those islands in the middle of the Caribbean. And the young guy that came here filled in the rest of the story for us. So we go right through the generations, uh, out to the Cayman Islands. Uh, Robert Davis's son got married to uh, a native lady. They had six children. The next guy, Samuel, had 21 children. So at this stage now, we have a lot of Davises from Cove hanging around the Caribbean. And you're up to the year 1874. To 1870s. And then Rodrigo, the guy with the 21 kids, his grandson, Alan, was the young boy who arrived here trying to find Irish ancestry. And that's how we got the story. And back, back all the way to Cove. All the way back to Cove. He was a student in Dublin and he just thought, he googled C-O-V-E and said where it was, so he arrived down here. Well, Jack, you wouldn't believe the amount of uh, members that we have that find all the clues and the information in the Bible are in some book or some note somewhere. There's, there's always some, something that just all of a sudden it opens a door for you. Um, we have a genealogist here and people often arrive in and say, we've been looking for this information everywhere. And in five minutes, he might just find that little clue. And all of a sudden, it opens up a whole new chapter in their families sometimes it's information you don't really want to give them but and i'm sure genealogists have this quandary sometimes i don't really want to tell you but your great-grandfather had two families one in dublin and one in new york <laughs> do you want to know about yes, them yes. so there's situations that where you have to decide will i actually tell this person that he or she has got 40 first cousins living in new york <laughs> about a ship called the Neva which was shipwrecked way back in 1835 it left here on board was 160 women and children we selected one of the ladies who was on board a lady called Margaret Drury who was a convict survived and we tell her story about how she survived and what happened to her afterwards but the story of the bonnets that you see here are all to do with a lady in Tasmania who has tried to get as many people as possible to put the name of a convict on a bonnet. I think our idea is to get 23, 24,000 bonnets made. We have a selection of them here that uh, people made and sent to us. Um, in July every year, there is a, a cruise liner that comes into port that does around the world. It goes from Sydney to Sydney. And when it's here in July, we have Australia Day. Now, I know Australia Day is in January, but in Cove, it's in July. Okay. And on that particular day, we have a ceremony called the Blessing of the Bonnets, where we, we take out all the bonnets. Most of the people on the ship will be Australian. They will place the bonnets back into the ship after they've been blessed by the local priest. So it's a nice little ceremony, bringing it almost full circle that, you know, the Australians are coming back here to see where it all started from. So it's a nice connection with Cove and Australia where it started way back in the, the late 1700s, 1790s, when the first ship started to leave here. But this particular ship left here in 1835. I have to tell you the story about a lady called Nellie Cashman. Nellie was born in a place called Belvelly, which is just up the road from Cove, um, on the way to Middleton. So a few miles from where we are now. A few miles from where we are now. She was born here in the 1840s, left when she was very young. Um, she's one of the most famous people, ladies in the Wild West. If you think of the people she hung around with, the likes of Wyatt Earp and all those guys that are 
we've all heard about the gunslingers. She was stuck in the middle of them. But she was a tough frontiers woman. She got involved in Alaska. She got involved in all sorts of stuff and ended up on an American postage stamp. Just her head, not the rest of her body, just her head. Famous, famous lady, famous lady. I'm going to have to stop you here in the exhibition in Cove Heritage Centre because we've come across a gentleman, Colonel Patrick Claiborne, and I believe he came from Ovens in County Cork, which is just down the road from where I was born myself. In fact, I know the house well. It still stands, Bride, Bride's View House. Can you tell us a little bit about Colonel Patrick Claiborne? Well, he was called Patrick because he was born on St. Patrick's Day, 1828. The story about him was that he joined the British Army and he was um, stationed on Spike. His family bought him out of the British Army. They emigrated to the US and eventually he ended up fighting on the Confederate side of the Civil War. But he, he was a good guy. And that he, uh, he tried to convince a lot of the other generals that if you let the black African slaves fight on the Confederate side, at least offer them their freedom afterwards. But that wasn't really acceptable to a lot of guys. But you know, 
he uh, unfortunately died in the Civil War. And what we have just here in his last case is two medals that were awarded to him posthumously. And um, we've got them here at the right Centre here in Cove. Yeah, and they look as fresh as... Actually, they look so new, but they're oh, 150 years old. Oh, yes, I can yeah. see 1896 on one. My goodness, they do look lovely. Yeah. Thanks very much. So there's Colonel Patrick Claiborne, born just down the road from myself. It's the year 1871, and you have a story here, Jack, about Humphrey John Donnelly. The reason I'm telling the story about Humphrey John Donnelly is that he's a Kerry man. And being a Kerry man living in Cork, I have to fight my own corner. <laughs> I don't believe a word of it. Now, Humphrey John Donnelly the first was born in 1871. I know his great-grandson, Humphrey John Donnelly the fourth, And I wanted to tell the story of the four generations of the Donnellys, where they came from, where they went to, and what happened to the next couple of generations. Uh, I was able to do a lot of research on Humphrey the first and the second, uh, and then Harp, as they were called afterwards, the fourth was able to fill in a lot of the gaps with family photographs. What it is, is the story of four generations of people who left Kerry, ended up in Newport, Rhode Island, started out as labourers in the, in the shipyards, uh, Humphrey John Harp Donnelly III became the mayor of Newport, Rhode Island. In fact, he was mayor of Rhode Island when they met the Queen in 1976. He's reputed to have said to her, Hello, Elizabeth II, I'm Humphrey III. (laughs) It could be hearsay, but it sounds great. You'd have to explain the bit about Harp to us. When a lot of the Irish arrived in the US in the late 1800s and early 1900s, they were the bottom of the pile. It was Irish, no need to apply, no Irish here, that sort of thing. So a lot of them garnered nicknames such as Paddy or Mick, or in the case of this family, they were known as the Harp. The Harp was the emblem of Ireland, so it was another way of describing an Irishman. He's a Harp. So he said, you know what, guys, I'm a very proud Irishman, you can call me Harp. And the name has stuck in that family. And the eldest son... Coming down to the generations, Humphrey John was also known, and is always known as Harp. And the guy I know, a lot of his friends don't even know what his Christian name is because he's known as Harp. And you said he was here recently to cut a tape, which he is was, a nice story. We, we put this uh, section of the exhibition together last uh, September, uh, and Harp arrived here in November and officially opened it for us, and he was delighted. Having his, his family on display was very emotional for him. Uh, both he and his wife were here and they just you could see they were a little bit overcome but you know an ordinary family and all of a sudden their story is being told to the thousands and thousands of people who come through this exhibition every year so this is Annie Moore Annie Moore so she was she was a, a young lady from Cork City now what we actually tell people here is that all the songs and the poems and the books and the stories you've heard about Annie Moore, the 15-year-old girl from Ireland. It's wrong. Oh. They were talking about a girl who was born in Chicago and lived in Texas. The real Annie Moore was born in Cork City. She was 17 and a half when she left, not 15. So rather than spoiling a good story, just let people assume the journey took two and a half years and then everything else is fine. <laughs> so what we have here is, is the house that... So we're looking at Annie, the, we're looking the house, at the house. That Annie grew up in 
way back in the late 1800s. A little bit of a background to her parents, her grandparents, who she stayed with uh, when they lived on the old Yall Road. And then we tell of the journey to Ellis Island and how she became the first emigrant to be processed. She should have been number two or number three in the gangplank, but the man ahead of her had a bit of manners and said, let the young lady go first. So as the first onto Ellis Island, she became fated and she was given a $10 coin by the mayor of New York, which was specially minted. And if somebody finds it today, it's worth a lot of money. It's vanished. Nobody knows where it is. So we then tell the story of the journey, when she arrived, and then her life afterwards. Uh, and it wasn't that glamorous. She lived in the Upper East Side, had a lorry load of children. A lot of them died very young. Uh, and she, in fact, she died herself at the age of 50. So it was a tough, tough life. But the real story of the real anymore was only unearthed in the last 10, 12 years or so by the genealogist from um, New York. That's right. When they found her grave and decided, yeah, this is the real anymore. So we tell her story. But we actually tell the story of the other anymore as well, just to totally confuse people. And I, I see that she came from the old, um, old Yall Road yeah. and that her mom was a Julia Cronin. And would you believe my, my uh, family as well is Cronin and my grandmother came from the old Yall Road. So you might be related to anymore. <laughs> I might have a connection. You were telling us a little bit about the lodging houses and I see that there's a representation of them here in the museum. We can look into the houses and see the people. Yeah, some of the lodging houses in what was then called Queenstown uh, were quite famous for lots of different reasons. Uh, and I'll just read you one little paragraph of what it says about a particular lodging house in 1881. On trustworthy, trustworthy information, I have learned that four or five men are sometimes put into one bed while others lie about the floor and that 26 people have been known to lie in a room of about 17 feet by 10. Not well, the nicest way to get a night's sleep, but I suppose if you didn't have a lot of money and you'd saved up for your voyage and you wanted to keep a few shillings until you got to New York, you put up at one night of... You had shelter for, yeah, the had night. shelter for the night. I think it might have prepared you as well for the cramped conditions on board when you got on board the, the boat. young and I was in my day Sure I'd steal what woman's heart there was away And I'd sing into the dawning, song a blaze into the morning Long before I was the man you see today I was born beneath a star that promised all I could have lived my life between Kharkov and Yon But the wheel of fortune took me From the highest point she shook me By the bottle live, by the bottle I shall fall But there in the mirror on the wall I see the dream is fading Contender to 
And when I die, I'll die a drunk down on the street. He will count me out to ten and clear the field. Wrap the star, he plow around me. Let the pipers air resound me. There I'll rest until the Lord of love I meet. There we had the contender sung by Finbar Wright, lovely voice, and written by Corkman Jimmy McCarthy. And, you know, there's a whole story in there. And folks, you might want to rewind and actually listen to the song again after I give you just a little bit of a background. As you might have guessed from there, a man by the name of Jack Doyle, who was also known as the Gorgeous Gale on the posters, he actually became a boxing champion and also a well-renowned tenor singer uh, over the years. He's born around 1913, so it's relatively recently. But the thing, the guy just achieved so much, um, I suppose, notoriety and fame during his relatively brief life that he used to draw tens of thousands of people to both his boxing matches and to his concerts. And he ended up actually marrying a lady by the name of Movita, a Hollywood star, who once he actually, uh, they got divorced or they broke up, she went on to marry Marlon Brando. So the guy during his day, really, does, as you hear in the song there, had everything in reach and whatever happened, it just never worked out for me. He ended up going onto the um, stage for boxing matches, for example, quite inebriated a lot of the time, Karina. So it's a very sad story, but what a story as well. And before that, of course, we had... Wonderful stories from uh, our man in Jack Walsh in, uh, in the Irish Heritage Centre in Cove. I could have spent all day with Jack Walsh, really. He was amazing. And every little exhibit there had a story that unwound and unfolded in front of our eyes. There were lots more that we could have stayed and chatted about. But I hope you enjoyed that uh, trip and that look into Cove Heritage Centre. And it is well worth a visit if you're ever ever down in Cove. It's it's very evocative as well because you go into almost what's the, the old train station. 
and uh, it's it's a fantastic place well worth a visit so we'll, we'll actually go back i think ourselves mike and have a visit there to jack when all this lifts what do you think absolutely queen and folks if you have a favorite story or maybe you have a story yourself of one of your family who left from cove why not share it in the comments below we'd love to hear them so which one of those stories was your favorite or maybe of one of your own do let us know Right. Thanks, Mike, for assisting me today in this wonderful show. And uh, oh, thanks for say, putting it together, Corinne. It's absolutely wonderful selection of stories there. Yeah, great. And actually, we had those recorded a while back and never got to use them, would you believe? So we're digging in and doing a bit of clearing up in the archives as well. Very treasure. Very treasure. I was delighted to come across those stories yesterday from Jack Walsh. So, everybody, uh, I hope you enjoyed the crack, because that's our word here for a bit of fun and a bit of music, a bit of C-R-A-I-C. stories. C-R-A-I-C. Yes, not, not the other kind. <laughs> so, uh, it, the Irish crack, as they say. And I'm going to say goodbye for now. So, slán, everybody. And Mike. Slán fall for now. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, the Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show. And you can find full details of the Green Room at a letterfromireland.com forward slash Green Room. Our Green Room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the Green Room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research to tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at aletterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán gafól, Karina.